Welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and agriculture brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmer and Gardeners Association in conjunction with our community radio station, WERU 89.9 FM Blue Hill. I'm your host, Caitlin Barker, and today I'm joined by a panel of guests to talk all about family and farming in Maine. So I'm going to give the guests a chance to introduce themselves, and then we'll get right into it. Thanks. Great to be with you, Caitlin and Meg and Sam. Uh, this is Polly Shaika, and I am a farmer from Freedom, Maine. I have lived on our farm, Village Side Farm, since 2001, and um, we started our farm business in 2007. Um, and I am happy to share that um, business with my partner, Prentice Grassi, and our three children. Um, age 20, 16, and 14. I'm really happy to be here today. I'm Sam. I operate Ramblon Farm with my wife. We have two children. The oldest is going to be seven here, and the youngest is going to be three months, and we are right in Knox, Maine. Hi there. I'm Meg Mitchell, and I operate Southpaw Farm in Freedom, Maine. We do organic produce as much year-round as we can. and have two kids ages six and 10 months. Awesome. So we have a wide variety of kids ages here with these farmers, which is cool. I'm looking forward to hearing like all the different perspectives. Mm. Why don't we jump into just the, the, how you got into it, how you got started farming? Sure. I grew up in the suburbs and basically right out of high school was looking for something that was just totally outside of that perspective and found myself as an apprentice in Freedom, Maine, actually, and kind of have been here ever since in the area, in the mid-coast area, farming at a couple different spots. I think coming from that suburban lifestyle, um, I was really looking for something where people were happy in their day-to-day experiences working, and I really found that in Maine, and um, that was something that I just wanted to be near and be part of. And so that's something that's really great about the lifestyle that we share as farmers in this area. This is Polly. I really came to agriculture through environmentalism, I would say. And yeah, making food choices that then became linked to an environmental ethic was sort of what brought me to to actively working on a farm. Both of my parents were really big gardeners. They were both professionals. They had jobs, but we had, I have six siblings. So there was like a real need for a lot of food in the system. And so we had to like, you know, weed a row of corn before we would be able to go to a friend's house or something, you know, like yeah. chores related to the garden were big. So um grew up growing a lot of food. And um, you know, my parents both really love to put up a lot of food. Fond memories of them just around the kitchen counter at night, cutting corn off the cob. And so, you know, grew up rurally and with a lot of gardening and a lot of food around. So it wasn't wasn't a big a big, big step out for me. And I grew up near um, Bangor, Maine. So um, haven't gone far. <laughs> yeah, so our family always had a small garden when we grew up. Um, I worked kind of a, a normal nine to five job for years after high school um, at a at a veterinarian's office in Pittsfield. And I um I met my wife and she was apprenticing with a, a farm in Pittsfield, Snake Root Organic Farm. And she was 100% sold that she was going to be a market farmer. 
Um, and when we met, she kind of questioned me and asked if I was going to be a market farmer. And I wasn't too sure about the whole gig. And she kind of said that well, the man she was going to be with was going to be sure about it. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I became very sure about market farming. Um, and I, I started apprenticing with Snake Root as well. And we lived there for probably probably four seasons. And after we kind of got our feet underneath us, we decided to start our own endeavor. And we leased land for multiple years. Um, and then we were able to uh, eventually purchase our own farm. So we've been on our own land now for one year. And we've been leasing land as farmers for this our fourth season or fifth season. Hmm. So yeah, that's that's how I came into it. So for those of you who were farming before you had kids, how did your farming change once the kids arrived? So I wasn't farming before I had kids. We had our child while we were at Snake Group. Hmm. So we went right into it pretty much with a child. But even though I say that it still changed because we were apprenticed when we had our son. So going from apprentice to farm operators was a big step for us. And even though we knew the basic operation of farming, we didn't have the whole concept yet. Um, we were still under kind of a, a mist of, of what the whole responsibilities were. Um, so whenever we started doing our own farming, we were in for a big wake up on what all the back end stuff was. So we've done it with the child since, since day one, really. Um, but there's still been stuff that we've constantly had to figure out and, and work on with ourselves. I met my farming partner and my husband, Prentice, in 95 um, on a farm, and we worked together for from then on, really. And it wasn't until 2003 when we had our first child. So that was, you know, that was really hard, <laughs> honestly, because our vision had always been like two farmers. Mm -hmm. And even though I guess we just really didn't think about what adding a baby would do to two farmers. <laughs> so we had a big adjustment. And even though in 2003, both of us had other jobs, we were still really aiming for both of us to be full-time farmers. So that's why we didn't start our business until 2007, because we were still uh, getting getting things sorted out for quite a few years, building our house and raising our first um, son and both working other jobs. So it was uh, startling and, uh, you know, to say the least. And then in 2007, when our second um, son was born, that was the year my husband took the whole summer off and we had our first market garden in 2007. So that was also a very, really difficult year um, to have a second baby and a first year of market gardening, even though we'd been doing it and aiming for it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I'd say on that, it really wasn't until 2008 when we applied for and were awarded the Farms for the Future program grant that forced us to write a business plan for our farm. Uh, I can't stress that enough that the business planning and financial planning were every bit about family wellness as about business wellness and financial wellness. They really, really, really made me a better parent, made me a better partner, mm -hmm. <laughs> made me definitely a better farmer. So I, I can't stress enough the importance of, you know, using whatever financial help and tools 
workshops, webinars, programs are available as a farmer, because I think it does. Those are really important. Yeah, I want to get more into some of those resources available a little bit later, because I think there's a lot out there and maybe people don't know a lot about what there is. But Meg, do you want to talk about your experience? Sure. Before we had our first child, I would say our business was subsidized by our donated labor. And I don't think we realized to what extent Mm -hmm. that our financial health was benefiting from our childlessness (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it was a real surprise. I feel like when, especially just going into it, I just, you know, you hear this narrative that I feel like is very potent that like, oh, you just farm with your kid. You just put them in a backpack you just do, it's the same as, you know, you just go for it. You just make it work. And I just, with especially our first child, that was not an option. (laughs) And so in my mind, I was like, it's kind of going to, like you're saying, I didn't plan, we didn't make really a plan for there not being two full-time farmers. And then the weight of the farming responsibility fell on my partner and the weight of the childcare fell on me and we were just both, nobody was getting their needs met. And yeah, so it was definitely a, a um, wake up call. I feel like, yeah. And I, I think we've just been trying to adjust and figure out. And I feel like we're at a decent place now with a somewhat fresher perspective, but yes, I will say it greatly altered the course of our business and lifestyle. You made a point there about kind of the expectations on families and kids as, and farming with kids. Where where do you think that comes from? Because I've heard that too, that kind of idea that like kids should just kind of be rolled into the whole thing and go with the flow and you can make it work. And I don't see that in a lot of other industries. <laughs> so, take your kid to work every right. day day not so much when you hit you know in, in a lot of other I, I wonder if this it's kind of this like idealization of the agrarian lifestyle which yeah. is like maybe even stolen from like an indigenous lifestyle where children mm-hmm. are incorporated into daily life uh-huh. and but whereas we've kind of now delineated into these nuclear families we don't actually have that support network of people there on the farm you know basically I think it's like 24 people were doing the role of caretaking for an infant in our ancestral history 20,000 years or whatnot and now we're really basically down to at most two or three if your grandparents are involved Mm -hmm. Um, and often that gets divided by gender norms current societal gender norms and it's a lot of pressure on everybody that's caretaking. There did exist a lot of um, assumptions about incorporating a child um, into farm life. When I, when Prentice and I started farming, Russell Libby was the um, executive director and his, um, you know, one of his overarching encouragements was to put a face to food with a farmer's face. And that was from the CSA concept. And, and so I think a lot of us, I did, I took that really seriously. I wrote a blog and I shared about important things on my farm. I wasn't really on social media until, I don't know, 2013 or something. I see that that 
that is really something that Prentice and I have really resisted is like, we don't really put pictures of our kids associated with our farm at all, because that that's one of the pressures. If you think about like farming and this idealistic view of, of kids on farms, that's one thing we've really resisted is like, this is the parents' business. <laughs> like this is my business and and Prentice's business. And um, yes, we have kids who are often underfoot and who now work for us, but like we don't really say it's a family farm. It's just not our way. I, I totally respect that other people make it really like a family endeavor and that's gorgeous, but I have to have a job. My husband has to have a job and this is the job we have. So it's sort of like, that's how we see it. It's like the parent's job Mm -hmm. um, and not the family's, a a kid's job to do anything or be in pictures or work on the farm, even like the farm, even that's, I think somehow coming up for me is like a notable resistance to that assumption. Do you think there is pressure from social media for farms to cultivate an image to help their business grow? I think everybody experiences social media really differently. It has such deep effects on different people. So I can't, I can't really answer that for me. I just know that I'm a pretty private person, even though I'm a super community minded person. I just, I just have never been able to, to kind of do that. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I can't really answer your question, but. Yeah, I will say you're saying you've never pressured your kids to be part of your farm and they chose at their own free will to work for you. That's yeah. like the mm-hmm. holy grail right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we worked really hard not to have the farm be a terrible place to grow up as a kid. And that meant, you know, that both of us didn't farm <laughs> at the same time, that both of us often didn't do jobs together. And mm-hmm. so because we just sort of divided our labor pretty for a lot, a lot of years. One of us was on kids and one of us was on the farm. So I think that that made them see that there was maybe some, that their needs were being met on a daily basis and that the farm wasn't the enemy, um, like this big, bad, ever needy <laughs> business, that it was a job, you know? And and we liked our job. We loved our home, loved our community. But so I think that's part of it. We were pretty, we tried at it. <laughs> yes. on, on that note of, of, you know, the logistics of working on a farm, what does it look like now in terms of parenting and farming at the same time? Like what's a day look like? How do you navigate both? I think like Polly mentioned, like there's a lot of, of giving back and forth um, responsibilities, tasks, children, and yeah, we're the same way. We thought that when we started that we were going to be working together all the time. Mm-hmm. We're going to be seeding. We're going to be transplanting and all that stuff we were going to be doing together. That was the goal, right? Like, you know, to be with your partner, be with your kids. You're all doing it all the time. Right. And you figure out pretty quickly that that it can't happen that way. Mm-hmm. And there are some jobs that I'm not that great at. And it would it's much more advantageous of Jess to go do that job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take care of the child when when Jess has the stage and when she gets to do jobs. And she takes care of the children when I have the stage and it's my particular jobs. That doesn't go to say that we don't ever work together. And I think that what Polly pointed out of not having high expectations for your children 
to work with you is so important. Our son has his own animals that he does take care of, but that's his choice. They're his, they're his pet goats. And we have no expectations out of the goats. <laughs> we don't milk the goats. They're not our goats to milk. If Malachite wants to milk these goats, then that's up to him. And I think that not making those things a job and making those more of a reward for him is what keeps him interested in his goats. If we forced him to go milk them, then I'm sure he would want to give them away very quickly. <laughs> so yeah, I think that letting letting your children help where they want to help, um, encouraging them when they do want to help is great, but never forcing them to do anything. Just knowing that the farm is is your responsibility, not the entire families um, is a big thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that as far as what I've seen to be workable. <laughs> Coercion is never a good strategy. <laughs> I will say for our scenario, Ryan in the winter works full time off the farm and in the summer he's three days a week off the farm. So for our situation, it is really essential that we have some consistent childcare, And that has been not easy to make that be a consistent, reliable thing and or far away. You know, there are some really quality, quality preschools in the area, but there's a limited number of availability slots. And for us, it's like a 25 minute drive each way, which is basically like two hours of driving a day. <laughs> and then that gives you like five and a half hours and Farming is not notorious for valuing a person's time as far as like what it's worth to do a job. So that has been challenging in the past several years. And so we've been kind of working towards just this June, we licensed our home as a family childcare. And we've been job sharing with a nice person who is leading the kids in like a farm day camp. And that's been really great. That's a cool idea. I, I think farmers in particular are great at coming up with creative <laughs> solutions. <laughs> yes. And it really stemmed from just parents being like, we are all in the same situation. And our kids also, our older kids are at an age six years where, you know, four or five of them can have a blast together. The person who's guiding them has like some really great inspirational materials and um, they've been building little animal homes all over the yard. So that's been really great, uh, but it took years to even get to this iteration of trying to make it work. And but I, but it does seem to be have a potential mm -hmm. for solving some of the crunch. Yeah. What was your experience like, Polly, when the kids were younger? How did how did your days look? Our farm was really different then. I will say that there was a lot of like half day blocks was often how we did it where like one of us would be with the toddlers, you know, because once they're five, is that what you experience? They're sort of pretty mm -hmm. dependable. Yeah, yeah. yeah they the can, they can sort of be around and they know about tractor safety and vehicle safety and they know about animals and fences. And so that's really what we found was that until age five, there really needed to be like eyes on hmm. so for those years and that spanned whatever 11 years with our kids age span we would do half day blocks oftentimes so a lot of meetings <laughs> between Prentice and me to like 
you know, on Sunday we would try to like, okay, I got Monday morning pick day and you've got Monday afternoon transplanting and I've got Tuesday morning delivery to Lincolnville and I'll take the kids, you know, like just details, so many details, so much negotiating and trying to be generous, trying to speak our needs, you know, to Meg's point earlier, um, I could really use, you know, a half a day, you know, with whatever at the desk. (laughs) And that means that I'm not with the crew, but the kids. So, and we had grandparents, we had four grandparents around like within an hour. So that was really huge, major, 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 major. (laughs) I can't not say that if having four, yeah, grandparents, huge. And so, yeah, that, that we would do a lot of logistics and planning date, you know, half day chunks. That's kind of how we blocked it off. If you're just tuning in, this is Common Ground Radio on WERU 89.9 FM Blue Hill, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. This is your host, Caitlin Barker, and today I'm here with a panel of guests talking about families and farming. So let's talk about something that I feel like farmers sometimes laugh when I mention, but work-life balance, does it exist? And what does it look like in your experience? I want it to exist so bad. And (laughs) and I think perpetuating the myth that it doesn't exist is only going to hurt us. We had some uh, community member volunteer picking carrots the other year. And I said something about retirement. He's like, oh, farmers don't retire. And I was like, I I just can't go on with this Mm -hmm. assumption that we don't need to take care of ourselves. But I have not found that balance. And, And there's just not enough of me to go around to like, my infant, my six-year-old, my husband, my farm. It hasn't existed so far for me, but I don't want that to mean that it can't exist. Mm -hmm. Do you feel it in the flow of the seasons though, either of you? Like I, if I think about the year in aggregate, I see more balance, Mm -hmm. but it like the short growing season in Maine and making a living, growing food, um, which is, you know, just, you know, again, so undervalued in our society, this critical piece of sustenance and nutrition, local and fresh food. We're under a lot of crunch in the summer months. And so that's sort of the time when we a little bit like hold our breath in order in chronological order, we sort of make a plan, start to enact the plan, hold our breath and hold on and kind of get through the summer. That's like, it's once a train has left the station, it's just going. And then in the wintertime, we have more time to breathe. And that's not how like balance or self-help <laughs> kind of works in our society anymore. But I think if I look at it over the course of a year, I think there is definitely a balance between winter and summer in our household and always has been, we haven't ever grown winter produce for that reason, because we've really needed to shut, shut the thing down, you know? So, but what do you think? Do you feel it over the seasons? I would like to first take a second and thank you mothers. Um, You mothers have, you like really, you guys have a heart Um, because there are certain things that fathers can't do with their children. Um, Having having a three month old right now, there are certain things that I can't do with him, even if I wanted to. And, and, you guys do way more than you're given credit for, at least at my farm. My wife does all the farm planning. I don't buy the seeds. I don't even know how many seeds go in a bed or a rock. I, 
Um, I'm told every time I go plant broccoli, you know, those are 18 inches apart, alternated. Every, you know, obviously I can tell you, but I'm reminded often. And I think that oftentimes in farm communities that it's assumed that the man is a farmer. And that's who is often addressed is the man as the farmer. And that's not the case, at least in our current systems. In small farms, I see oftentimes it's driven by the females. And that's, I'm thankful that we have two to one here. So I think that for mothers, it's particularly hard to have balance because they're getting pulled in so many directions with, you know, relationships with the children, with relationships with the husbands in relationships with the farm. So as far as like balance, yeah, it's hard. We, we try to make time. And I think that's a constant reminder for us is that we started farming so we could be a family. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in needing to have a business be successful because you do. That's easy to put the relationships with each other and your children on the back burner. And we do that because we do have to have a business, but we have to step back every once in a while and remind ourselves why we're here and why we're doing this. So we try to take time to go fishing. We try to take time to do things. But to say it's balanced probably isn't fair because more of the responsibility is on you mothers than it is the fathers, at least in our farm. So yeah, it's a struggle, but we, we just try. Um, and so we can do our thing. Say on the second go round with our baby now, we really tried to learn from our first child and especially having Ryan back then, he was on the farm full time. Now he's away from the farm. He has stepped up quite a bit on the childcare front to, I really truly feel 50-50, like where I'm taking on extra of certain types of tasks, he's taking on extras of others and I, I do feel like that's possible to have a equity uh, of or, or whatever works for your family. You know, like what the way we did it before didn't work for either of us. And I feel like now he's really able to like cherish this babyhood in a way where because he was sidelined to farm tasks on our with our first child, he's like able to really connect and be part of this. And that's the thing is it's not perfectly balanced, but I, I do feel like more able to operate my business fluidly, knowing that I have like the foundation of like that partnership. So would this is for anybody determining and defining roles within a couple or a partnership. Are there strategies you use? I mean, I, I imagine finding a clear communication avenue is like really important, but there are other strategies you can identify that helped you create that line of communication and define those roles and expectations? I mean, the big one for me is that it's all labor. <laughs> it's all labor, childcare and farm labor, completely equal, 100%. So to me, by definition, there's all the work of the farm and the household are getting done. And as soon as the scales come out, who's doing more of this or who's doing more of that, there's in woven into that is a, a value. And I can't have any of that. So I'm so to me, 
there is a hundred percent of work being done on the farm and with the family. And so we're all good. Like a hundred percent is being done and there are two people. So each person is doing 50%. Like that's the, as far as the math that I can do around like balance between if you're talking about two and in this situation, we're talking about two or three heterosexual couples. And of course we have many farmers in Maine who don't, who are in same sex couples and farming together. So just want to like shout out to the, that like we happen to be all in um, hetero relationships, but so I, you know, that's the big one for me is that it's all work that needs to get done. That's huge though. It's, like and def- I, defining labor without value, without assigning yeah. value to them. I mean, that's systemic. That's, that's yeah. something that we, we have a hard time with exactly. as a society. So like, if you're able to, with your partner, identify and define labor the way you did, that creates that plane, I hope at least to start well, as you begin assigning, you know, exactly. then it's like, then it comes down like Ryan. It's like, if someone's taking joy in the 10 month old, yay, <laughs> like, let, like, let's work with those strengths. Right. I mean, we all try to do that with our farm crews and with our children. It's like, what are you into right now? Let's try to follow that. So we, sh- I hope that, you know, we, we did that and that we continue to do that on our farm. It's like, what's bringing you joy and what's what are you good at or what are you super interested in like um rather than this sort of tension filled like ah this has to be done and this has to be done it's you know that's that gets really 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 hard and really tiring Mm -hmm. so I love that description of you know yeah maybe time I will say as far as how to structure these roles and responsibilities just like assuming everybody we're we're on the same team like and Mm -hmm. I feel like just like always reconnecting with that is like because I feel like in the moment when it can get where not everybody's needs are being met and so not everybody's as regulated as they would like to be we've been learning to re restate our like compassion for each other and just our our need for our children's needs to be met and our own just our our need to satisfy everybody (laughs) you know we're all working together for that how about on the level of appreciating you know time spent in our different roles with the kids on the farm what are some of the benefits to raising kids on a farm oh so many (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the farm is a classroom. The farm is a wonder. It's a museum. It's a natural history. It's people. I mean, anim- I, like there's so much on a farm to enjoy, you know, deeply, deeply with children or as our own selves. So yeah, for a child to have the chance to be and seeing a business going you know, that's, I think that's, there's a, there's a lot I could go on, but I want to hear from you. Too. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. There's, there's so many benefits for both the kids and the parents. I mean, we, we kind of go out of our way to have our children on farm as much as we can. And I consider that a benefit for us as well. There are so many parents that don't have that pleasure that their children have no opportunity to stay home, even if they wanted them to stay home. They have to go to daycare. Mom is a nurse. 
or, you know, any nine to five job. So, I mean, I think that there are a ton of, of benefits for a child to learn, but I think that the benefits for the parents are oftentimes overlooked and maybe undervalued that we get to see our children. And that's such a huge thing um, that I think is really important. I, I love the days where my kids are home and they get to interact. We get to interact throughout the day. And yeah, I feel like on a farm, there's just so many opportunities for self-direction, even if it's just like playing in the driveway, making the water go in a certain direction for like an hour and a half, Mm -hmm. you know, or just forts in the bushes or, and, and she, my older child knows so much more than I did Mm -hmm. at 18 when I first got to a farm, you know, about like growing anything, ecological processes, all kinds of stuff where I had no practical experience with it. Mm-hmm. And I think also just has a more thorough understanding of like life processes and grieving and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just processing experiences, just being able to have the outdoors and the the farm too as like a nest you know I grew up in rural Maine and then you know became a grown-up with a job inside buildings not outside (laughs) (laughs) and then started working for a farm in 2015 and I can pinpoint the moment in that year when I felt like I woke back up to that wonder of what the natural world is Mm -hmm. and so I kind of feel like farms are this special place that you can kind of revisit and reawaken to the magic that's happening outside all the time. And that was a pretty impactful moment. And so I imagine as a kid growing up with that as your backdrop must be pretty incredible. So if you're just tuning in, this is Common Ground Radio on WERU 89.9 FM. I'm Caitlin Barker, and I'm joined today by a panel of three guests. And we're talking about families and farming. I'd like to talk a little bit about safety on a farm. Is it safe to have kids on a farm? And how do you ensure your child's safety? I can speak to this as I just went through a licensing process to get our home license to be a child care provider. Mm -hmm. And certain things I had to do was take a first aid CPR class, mandated reporter training, water tests, several other things, little online classes and such. And our strategy for keeping, because that is a huge anxiety of mine, is like vehicle and tractor traffic and children, even before we started welcoming other families onto our farm. And we have an enclosed, a fenced acre area that we keep either mowed or it's in some perennial gardens as well, rather than shade trees and such for like the kids to hang out. And then if, if, they leave that area, they are stewarded by an adult. And the only exception to that would be like on the weekends when there weren't other kids around and there was no farm activity happening, no harvesting, no nothing like that. My older daughter will just have free reign and she'll she'll play anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if there's like farm traffic, which is consolidated to work hours, pretty much little ones are stewarded in that outside of that fenced area. Mm-hmm. We worked with apprentices for years um, from 2008 until probably 2018 or so. 
So we were orienting new people and often young people and often people without any farming experiences to safety protocol around tractors. And in our employee manual, we have a, you know, a really long section about children and speed and animals and speed and um, backing up. Like There's just a lot that um, we got used to being broken records about. And even to this day, you know, we ha don't have apprentices anymore. We have all hourly folks, but, you know, we, like my 20 year old is just driving a tractor. So we're also very abnormal. <laughs> a lot of farm kids grow up driving tractors or sitting on, you know, laps and that didn't have, that we didn't, we didn't ever give the kids a ride on a tractor. They would ride on a trailer, but um, not one of our kids ever got a ride on a lap on a tractor. And that's just, again, out of extreme safety, knowing how many farm kids, you know, the statistics on tractor safety and farm kids is are, is really scary. So again, that's, I, I'm out of the norm. We are out of the norm on that one, but it's something that was important to us to just, again, model for our apprentices that the tractor, as a farmer I used to work for said, like everything on the farm can kill you. <laughs> and a tractor is a big one that's in, you know, lots, at least on our farm, a lot of use. And so that's, that was always our tactic with kids and farm days and tractors. We are an exception in a different way. We don't have a tractor. We mm -hmm. only use a BCS. So Can the you explain what that is? A BCS is a walk behind tractor. Mm -hmm. It's like a rototiller on steroids that you can change implements on. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, much more, it's much less concerning operating the, the walk behind tractor than a large tractor. Mm -hmm. But we do have some things. We have pigs. I see some farms encourage their kids to go and play with the kids and we, we don't. And the pigs 99% of the time, I'm sure would be fine. Uh, but on the 1% chance that we got in a routine of doing that and the child fell over and got stepped on, it would be a disaster immediately because mm -hmm. uh, they're large animals. Mm -hmm. So similar to, to what Polly is saying, where she took extreme cautions where it needs to be extreme cautions. I think that that's true. You just need to identify what the risky situations are and address them with the child and set rules around those risky situations. Yeah. I think electrical fences was one that we warned about, but that's also a pretty self-correcting problem. You don't have to touch an electric fence too many times to learn not to touch the electric fence. So some problems are self-correcting and some problems are much higher risk and you need to have protocol to reflect. And what your risk threshold is too. I'm not saying everyone should be like Prentice and me with tractors, right. but, um, you know, different people have different risk thresholds and that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, but I think it's part of that clear communication and getting clear in the beginning with your partner, with your farm team, with your kids over and over again, sort of repeating like, this is, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And that's just the way it is <laughs> on our farm. Cause we get to do that. And every farmer and every farm team gets to make, the decisions about what's going to sustain their sense of safety and risk aversion or risk comfort. Mm -hmm. And that's individual. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It sounds like so much of what's important in farming is kind of important, like in any partnership or relationship, like 
clear communications and expectations and boundaries and planning things out, but even more so in farming because you have these relationships enmeshed with a business that also has to run and they're kind of all you know, in the same arena. Uh, I want to ask a little bit about mental health and how specifically farming as a family with kids and a partner, I think everybody here is a partner, how that affects your mental health and your relationships and how you navigate that. Yeah, I honestly feel like I've been struggling lately. I feel like I have fatigue of trying to make some make it work. Mm. And every year we try a new iteration and still not everybody's needs are being met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have this debt that dictates certain factors about our operation. And I feel like what I need is financial stability. And that just hasn't been a constant uh, throughout this mm -hmm. experience. And I will say having kids is not great for your financial stability yeah. <laughs> if you're already struggling and it's just been hard to try to run an, a farm that is true to our ethical standards as well as maintain healthy relationships with our family and friends as well as taking care of ourselves and I think just lately I've just been I, I've been feeling the stress and anxiety of not having that stability and yeah just tired of trying new things to make it work but it still seems worth trying so that's a hard one mm -hmm. I mean oh gosh it's it's it is a oftentimes people when if I say, oh, I'm a farmer, people say, oh, that's such a hard way to make a living. And, and it, re it really is. And I think that another job might be harder <laughs> for me or for my partner. So, you know, we all do our best as humans to like, find our way, find our way, find our way, pivot, pivot, make a change, change this, change that. So we're all constantly trying to hone in on what's going to be a little bit better, you know, without really rocking the boat <laughs> too much, most of us. So to me, mental health is like one of the compasses, you know, like finances can be a compass. And of course, all these compasses overlap, but mental health can really be a compass for some people and farm life and working outside working with animals, working with plants can be a huge mental health benefit to some people. And for some people, business ownership might be too much for their mental health. So again, it's just like, wow, there we there is so much um, to consider and uh, it's just very complex. So I guess to speak for myself, I mentioned this earlier that, you know, business planning and being on the same page about you know, our family finances and how the farm supports those family finances and how the farm supports its debt service has been really key to my mental health. I was sort of a wreck before we did a business plan. I didn't see how it was going to happen. I just, it didn't. So, so getting some financial tools like shared in the partnership and in the business was really big for me to see that it was possible. Um, not to say that, you know, we don't wring our hands every week, every day about 
this or that change to the business. But I think um, the big sort of aligning, like what do we need to support our family and what do we, what does the farm, you know, need to keep going and pay its bills and pay for, you know, debt service or sort of the pieces and retirement is still not a nut that we have cracked. Um, and that is start, you know, as my husband and I are both in the 40, in our forties and fifties, it's like, how is the firm going to support us into retirement? And that's really, you know, a big one that's on my mind in terms of mental health and wellness as long-term financial stability. But again, everybody has their own, it's so different. Every person, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I think that this is another one, at least in our situation, that's not to undersell a man's role at all, but mental stress on on the mothers is so much harder, at least at, at this age where we're at in our family. You know, having, having a three-month-old, I can't imagine, um, you know, I can wake up and help at nighttime with as many responsibilities as I as I physically can, but I cannot breastfeed a baby. At, at three o'clock in the morning and I cannot imagine and I can't put myself in the position of um, the mothers that are that are in that position so I think that yeah, it's, it's hard on everyone and I think it's it's more on mothers than than our society and then our industry is willing to talk about and I think that that all the factors that have already been brought up financial balancing relationships i think that all of that weighs on mental health in certain ways and yeah it's it's a it's a challenge and yeah it's something that we haven't quite figured out but we're always trying to as well Mm -hmm. to me the image it's like to a multifaceted life there have to has to be like multifaceted um, options and tries you know so that's kind of um, it's not a simple, there's not a one size fits all for mental health. It's like every person is different and so might need counseling or might need break more breaks from family and farm responsibility. Like I, it's just, it's again, back to that communication, like what do, what, what do I need? You know, um, what does my partner need? What, so it's. And that in itself can sometimes be hard. Like you need to take some time and figure out what do I really need? Yeah. If you give so much of yourself all the time to a yeah. business and to a family and a partnership, like where do I fit into the equation yeah. and what are my needs actually? And maybe taking some time to try to identify those. For sure. I, I mean, that applies to more than yeah. just farmers. Exactly. I mean, humans. Yeah. yeah. On on the note of things that can be tough and like maybe some ways to help, what are some resources that exist out there for Farmers, farmers who have families, farmers looking to maybe create a business plan, look for funding, find ways to make things more efficient. What's available? I'll start with one that I've been lucky enough to collaborate for the last five or six years with a University of Maine cooperative extension um, program called the Farm Coaching Program. You can Google Farm Coaching Maine or search on the extension website. And that resource offers basically four two-hour sessions with two farm coaches. And you can read about it there, but that's that's a great resource that I've seen, you know, from the service provider side 
again, to be clear, I have been employed by the firm coaching program. So from the service provider side, I've seen a lot of farm teams really have some aha moments. And to me, that's kind of all you can ask from a program. There's like a few gems that you walk away with. Um, certainly Mafka and Maine Family Farmland Trust both have amazing farm business planning and conferences and webinars and farm tours. Um, what else in this state are our resources? Just as like a personal resource, what has been making our life more wonderful is having some hobbies and pastimes that are not farming, mm -hmm. just as far as a resource to draw joy from when things are challenging, mm -hmm. just having a flexibility of where you source your joy from. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And just having like a team to be on or a quirky little hobby to pursue mm -hmm. is really helpful, I feel like, um, for mental health and managing all everybody's needs and friends. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, like, how how has community played into mental health and, and family and farming and that whole bundle? Like, how does it play? I think a lot of us are going through the same thing, like whether we're in the industry or not. And it's just really helpful to get together with friends and chat about it or not chat about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I just want to say that there are lots of resources, you know, in other parts of the state too, like Mano and Mano down East supports farm workers and, um, and farmers, farm teams, um, cultivating community in the southern part of the state is really active with offering all kinds of workshops. And so there there are, you know, organizations that have that really focus on the well-being of farms and farmers and farm workers. And, and I think, you know, farmers and farm workers can reach out to the a community organization that's active in their area. Maybe that's a church, maybe that's a range, you know, they're 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 there are lots of groups in all parts of the state that could be a resource or have access to resources, right? So we're, we're nearing the end of the show and I have a couple more things I want to talk about. I'm hoping we have time for them. So the 2023 Farm Bill is coming up and it has a line item in it about increasing access to affordable care and helping with child care in rural areas. And so my question to you is, what's an ideal scenario look like in terms of support, in terms of regulations or funding, or and in terms of just general daily life? What does an ideal scenario of farming as a family look to you? I think that this is another problem that's that's bigger than farmers as well. I think it's great that it's being addressed through the farm bill and bringing some attention to it. But I talked to so many families that are struggling with childcare. Um, being able to find it relatively close is a big one. You know, we had Meg mention that you know you're driving two hours to get your child into a daycare, and then you know since there are so few of them, that is naturally going to drive the cost up. If you have a high demand, 
for any item. It's going to drive the demand up or the, the cost of that, that item up. And I think that cost is really restrictive for so many young families. And I think that that oftentimes forces a family member to stay home and take care of the children. And we're fortunate enough to be in a world in farming that we can compromise and do that. But it's exactly that. It's, it's a compromise. Um, so I think that it's 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 hard to say what it looks like ideally. Um, but I think that it's a subject that needs addressed in a broader scope too. Um, child care shouldn't be as hard to source out as, as it is right now. Um, and I don't know if that means, you know, so, so we are fortunate enough to have a grandmother that does help out quite a bit. Um, she stays with us for, for part of the summer and lives in the house with us. And that's an amazing resource to have, mm -hmm. but, but not everyone is fortunate enough to do that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I think that it's, it's a big can of worms, um, Yeah, I mean, I think about what ideal care would be close by, affordable, right. and quality. Mm -hmm. And I think to get that quality care, it's going to require a lot of social input for the infrastructure for that quality care. And, you know, the state of Maine has a child care grant that's out right now that's it's $8,500 towards upstart costs. And that helped us get our small child care with a capacity of 12 off the ground. And then even with that help, it's not a lucrative business if you want to pay people appropriately for this essential care that's basically forming our future society. I think having more options for rural care and maybe with incentivized grants for getting those operations off the ground and then like publicly funded enrollment at those facilities so that just like we have public school public early care mm -hmm. so that parents can work and yeah it would be amazing I think these folks said it all I totally agree well you know we'll see what happens <laughs> with the farm bill mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe that one line item will magically cover everything get through <laughs> in the meantime we've got this great community of Maine farmers who I hope can get a lot of value out of this conversation all the resources that were mentioned are going to be posted in the show notes which are available at weru.org so I want to thank all three of you for coming in for this in-person talk which was really great we've got Polly Shika from Village Side Farm we've got Sam Gary from Ramelon Farm and Meg Mitchell from Southpaw Farm. Really great to have you all in the office today. Uh, I want to thank my co-host Holly Cedarholm and our producer Claire Boland and let you know that you're listening to WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM and this is Common Ground Radio and I'm your host Caitlin Barker. Uh, archives of the show can be found at weru.org or found on the WERU app. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more great programming coming up next.